0: Here's what I want to do this morning. Um, if you really are a follower of Jesus, I want you to look at who are you then really following. And I know that might sound a little bit of a strange way of saying it, but have you been following the Jesus of our culture? Or have you been following the Jesus of movies, television, things that you've seen? <clears throat> have you been following Jesus that was the... Uh, Flannelgraph Jesus on your Sunday school class? Any of you remember flannelgraph Jesus, right? Okay. Some of you, not a lot. Okay. That's the Jesus that was up on that flannel board and he was just kind of stayed right there and he had his hand out like that and he would heal somebody and then the teacher would take him down, right? Or are you truly worshiping the Jesus that you know of in Scripture and the true Jesus? Not just about what you hear at church but what that you see in Scripture and that you know personally in your own life. Because there's there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about Jesus, and a lot of them, I think, come through things that we see, maybe through artwork or maybe through movies that we've seen or such. Uh, there, there's this thought that maybe Jesus is aloof, and he's kind of above it all, and he's not involved in it. He kind of is on a different plane right, obviously because he, he is God himself, that some of the things that bother you maybe didn't bother Jesus. Or maybe you've kind of felt like he is fragile and weak and kind of anemic, as we've seen in some paintings that depict him in that way, which, by the way, he's the son of a carpenter, so I think he was trained in that way. I think he was a little bit more built than that, than just being anemic and weak. Or maybe you've seen some things that show him kind of as a loner, that that he just kind of did things on his own. He's not really much of a people person. i got to tell you, that could not be farther from the truth. In fact, the Jesus we see in Scripture is very charismatic. The Jesus we see in Scripture had people who would flock to him, and and he had this kind of magnetic personality. In fact, the Bible says one time people came and sat with him for three days and listened to him teach, not even worrying about a lot of the food that they were not getting, and all of a sudden they kind of realized, wow, we haven't eaten for a certain amount of time. There's a part in Scripture that says in Luke that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God, and who else? With... With man, yeah, favorite with God and man. We see a little bit later on in his ministry when he's kind of teaching to separate the fans from the followers that he invokes so much passion in the crowds that they either loved him or they hated him. In fact, we see that in the Passion Week that we celebrate from Palm Sunday to when he rises again from the dead, that he is loved at the beginning of that week and then he is hated throughout the middle of that week. The people are yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He invoked a lot of passion in the crowds and in the people. And now I love my flannel graph Jesus, all right? That's okay. He, He was a good guy and I learned a lot of lessons from that. But how true to life was he? I think we need to be kind of reminded that Jesus was God embodied and as being God embodied he had human motions, he had feelings, he, he, he showed his love for individuals, he was passionate, he was charismatic, he was magnetic, the scripture, the Jesus I see in scripture are all of those things put together. And some of you may be saying, well, why is that kind of important to know that about who Jesus is? Here's why I want you to know about the personality and the persona of Jesus. Because if if Christianity is a relationship, then it would be a good idea to know who we are relating to. Amen? If Christianity is a relationship then we need to know who that person is that we're relating to. Not someone who's aloof, not someone who's alone, not someone who's kind of uninvolved and above it all, but someone who is passionate about people. In fact, that word Christian means little Christ. And so it would be good for us to know... What Christ, what Jesus looked like, what he, what, what, what he sounded like, what he, what, he, what he showed in Scripture, what, what made him angry, what made him frustrated, what made him happy, what made him cry, what made him love. And all those things are in Scripture. In fact, Philip Yancey, who's an author, wrote a number of great books, I studied them in seminary, tells about uh, a famous Italian maker named Pasolini. And Pasolini was an atheist, he was a Marxist, and he was an avowed homosexual as well. He he wanted absolutely nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with the church. But one day uh, in downtown Rome, he's staying at a hotel, and uh, he's trapped kind of in his hotel room because there's a long parade that has Pope John coming by. And in those days, there were barricades that were up, and so it kind of blocked the streets. And so he cannot get out of his hotel room. He doesn't care about seeing the Pope. He's Remember, he's an atheist. He doesn't care about those kinds of things. And so he's locked up in his hotel room, and he has no TV. He uh, he didn't bring anything to read, and so he's scrounging around kind of looking for something to do, and he opens up one of the drawers in his hotel room and in that drawer he finds an italian gideon bible that's in the drawer and he opens it up and he begins to read the new testament and he reads in the book of matthew as if he's never read it before he is riveted to what is being said about Jesus in the book of Matthew. And for the next five hours, he reads through the book of Matthew and finds the Jesus, and I quote, that nobody ever told him about. This is the Jesus who was powerful. This is the Jesus who was, who was magnetic, who was physical, who was passionate, who was engaging, who was shocking, who was alarming. This is the Jesus who pushed people's buttons. This is Jesus who people would just stop and drop everything and follow him whenever Jesus said it. Said to Matthew, you come and follow me. That's the Jesus that Matthew is writing about, and that's the Jesus that Pasolini begins to see. And Pasolini, of all people on earth, Pasolini ends up making an Italian movie called The Gospel of Saint Matthew. That many Bible scholars say, and still today, is one of the best movies about the actual life of Jesus that has ever been made. And here's what's very interesting about the end kind of the story, is at the beginning of that movie, there's the dedication. And the dedication is to Pope John. And he says this, whose traffic jam helped me find the real Jesus. Jesus. that's the jesus i want you to know that's the jesus of scripture that i want you to see here today the jesus saying what made him angry what made him cry what does he have a true love for and we could go weeks, months on sharing different characteristics about Jesus. But let me just share a few different ones that Matthew gives to us. And actually out of Matthew chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 23. And we're going to see some things demonstrated by Jesus that I think we need to be very aware of. That we maybe have lost these things in knowing who we are relating to. And so the first really point that I want to bring up is that the real Jesus, and you have this in your outline... The real Jesus has a passion against bad religion. He has a passion against bad religion. Because of all the social evils that Jesus could have spoken out against, and it could have been slavery, it could have been Roman occupation, this is what got Jesus angry the most. This is what got him going, what made his blood boil. In fact, most of us know kind of that Jesus at one time cleared out the temple. You can find that in the different Gospels, but you can also find it in Matthew 21, verse 12. He cleared out the temple because people were selling items for their own personal gain, weren't they? Jesus said, that's not what's going to go on in my father's house. You know, just a little point off of that, I remember a number of years ago when a local business person came to me and was talking to me a little bit about his story that he'd had a little bit younger in his years. Um, he said when he first started coming here to First Baptist, he loved what was going on here, has been a part of our ministry for years, um, and had different people from his work actually start to come to First Baptist. Sooner or later, his boss found out about it. His boss actually approached him and said, um, I think it's time that you should start going to another church. <clears throat> person asked, why, why would that need to be, why would I need to go to another church? And the boss basically was saying, because it's kind of dried up there at First Baptist, Baptist as far as your business contacts and working and networking with people. And so if you go to another church, you'll find more and you'll have better business going on person looked back at his boss and over the course of about a month' time going back and forth said i don't belong here at this work if that's what you think about my religion if that's what you think about my church if that's what you think about ultimately about my relationship with my god then i don't need to be working here because that's not why i go and that's a little bit of what jesus is getting out there when he's clearing out the temple he's coming in and saying hold on this is not for your own personal gain In fact, the religious leaders in John chapter 5 have a beef with Jesus. Jesus heals someone who has been an invalid for 38 years. And when he is told that he can rise up, they, they, they stand there and they say, wait, 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 no, 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 you can't do that. You can't heal him. You can't do it on this day. It's a Sabbath day. Again, what are they doing? They're putting these rules before a relationship. In fact, you know what they did? Back in the Old Testament, these religious leaders, they would they would read the Old Testament and they came up with 613 additional rules that they believed should have been included in the Old Testament writings. And then they look back at the Torah and they came up with another 1,521 addendums that were not necessarily the rules, but they were just kind of some add-on things that needed to take place that should have been in there, they said. Things so minute like, um, you know, that you can't walk a certain amount of steps on the Sabbath day or else the, le- the next step is going to be working and you can't do that. That, that. that you can't eat certain foods or you can't eat um, because picking up your fork or your spoon and going like this up, that's work on the Sabbath day. You cannot do that. That if an ox falls into a hole, you cannot pull it out on the Sabbath day. You have to wait. And Jesus looks at this and says, that is so Far away from what I intended to do and what my father intended to have in the Old Testament days, and you know, some of you have kind of know this more than others because you've been hurt by religious leaders, maybe in your life, maybe you've been felt, uh, maybe you've been led to feel guilty. Or maybe been led to feel unworthy because of certain things that you maybe do. Or maybe you've um, been told that you have to act in a certain way if you're going to be in this church. And, 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 And I'll explain a little bit of this at the end, so let me just go with me on this one. Maybe it was drilled into you that you had to go to church as a kid, and now you've kind of just revolted against that. And it's still hard for you to walk in because you feel that condescending, maybe parental figure over the top of you telling you what you have to do. Or maybe it's the reading of your Bible, and you were forced to do it, it felt like a duty to you instead of a devotion and getting a relationship. I I have extended family, in, in my line, who today do not go to church, because the church that they went to made them feel guilty, the church that they went to made them feel like it was so much more about rules than about a relationship that they could follow. And some of you are in here today, and you're, and you're grappling with some of that. You're, you're going through some of that as well. Now, let me kind of get to the bottom of that and tell you what I, what I feel about that. I believe at the heart of that is, is a sense and a desire for people to follow Jesus. I, I truly do. But somewhere in there, it came down to more of about the religion and how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to act than it did a relationship with Jesus and how he leads us. It became more about the rules. It became more about the performance. It became more about the appearance that you were to keep up that dominated rather than aligning with the heart of Jesus. And I know there's a fine line there because we are supposed to get our lives in order. We are supposed to kind of be along and say, let's, let's get more like Jesus and let's be behaving better. But when it's forced upon you, that can be very difficult. And Jesus saw that going on. And so Jesus comes up against this. And look at the things he says. This is in Matthew chapter 23. Look at verse 15. I'm going to kind of jump around this whole chapter because there's a lot Jesus has to say. And he says it. No holds bar. He didn't hold back on this. Look at verse 15. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. What's the next word there? Hypocrites. That was not a word they wanted to hear. He says, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or or a follower, someone following you, you. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. I mean, you can just see, man, Jesus just like laid it out there and like the air sucked out of that room. And they're like, whoa, what are you calling us? What are you saying about us? These are heavy words. He's saying, you Pharisees, you, you say you're followers of God, but you act like fans. The things you do are like fans. In fact, in verse uh, chapter 23, Jesus is lighting up the bad religious leaders this whole time, this, almost this entire chapter. Let me, let me go back to the beginning of it, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds, and you might read that, fans, and to his disciples, which you might read as followers. So he's talking to the fans and the followers here. He's saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe what they tell you. Now, at this point, the scribes and the Pharisees are kind of liking that, right? That sounds good to us. Jesus just said for you to practice what we tell you. But then look what Jesus says. He says, but not what they do, for they preach. But they do not practice. You ever wonder where that phrase came? Practice what you preach? Here it is. Right? Jesus is saying, you know what? They're telling you to do stuff. And the things that they're telling you to do, it's good. But they're not doing it. So don't follow them. Again, the Pharisees are backing off and saying, what? They're saying, I mean, Jesus was so passionate against bad religion. He he was so harsh on their religious leaders. In fact, as harsh as he was on their religious leaders, is how kind and generous and open and loving he was to the down and the out in his day. We'll see that in just a little bit here. Jesus doesn't expect perfection, but he does want authenticity. He does want realness. He does want openness. He wants to keep it real. And these jokers, he's saying, man, you guys are professional pretenders. Look at verse 27 and 28. Again, chapter 23. 27 says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Again, the word is hypocrites. you'll, You'll find that over and over and over and over and over and over in this passage. For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And Jesus is saying, you guys are choosing the rules instead of the relationship. Go to verse 13. He says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and then his favorite word of the day is hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. You know what's hard about this? Is that some of you have definitely battled this in your own life. Maybe you've you've been raised going to church, but what you saw in church and how you saw your parents act in church was not what you saw at home. And that word hypocrite is really easy to say for you. you. You've seen it. Maybe, in fact, you went to a Christian school. And at that Christian school, it's supposed to be Christian based, but really it was just about following a bunch of rules and regulations and things that you were supposed to do more than getting Jesus. Man, can I just tell you, I've experienced firsthand what goes on here at First Baptist Christian School. Mrs. Balleri, she just spoke in the chapel this last week. They do such a great job of bringing it to the realness, of saying it is not about just this, you know, this structure or these rules that you have to follow, even though you have to. Boy, if you get, you know, grade school kids, Kindergarten through eighth grade. You've got to have rules there, right? But she says, that's not what's about. It's about a realness in your heart. Now, I have the privilege of speaking to the chapels, or other pastors do as well. And it's about sharing the real Jesus with these kids. That's how they're being raised in the school. And I don't know what other Christian schools teach. I don't know what maybe you may have been raised in as well. But sometimes we have that difficulty because we see it one way, but we hear it another way from people who should be getting that. I understand that. I understand that um, you know, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, I didn't get married to my wife because I wanted to follow rules. Any of you husbands who got married, any of you wives who got married, you, you didn't do it because you wanted to follow rules in that relationship, right? You did it because you wanted to be in a relationship with your wife or you wanted to be in a relationship with your husband. Now, there are rules in that relationship, right? Some are spoken, some are unspoken, right? Okay? If you're happily married, then you know the unspoken ones as much as the spoken ones, okay? Because I know when I said I do, I was saying that I would be faithful to my wife as long as we both shall live, I was saying I would provide for her. I was saying I will meet her needs. I was saying I would be committed to her for better or for worse. Those were the spoken rules that I knew about. In fact, some of them were stated on the day when I gave my vows to marry her. That was what was in place. But then there are some other rules that have come along in the last 17 and a half years as well. Right? unspoken, such as... Keep your side of the closet clean, right? I mean, that's, that's good. Your side of the bedroom clean and such. Um, you know, other things like, um, that I would wear clothes that matched, right? Right? At least in public or, or when I'm with her, okay? I want that. Other things such as, you know, past 10 is not a good time to, you know, be razzing her or joking with her. She turns into a pumpkin, she's ready for bed, right? After 10 o'clock, right? Other things like, you know, put the toilet seat down, okay? At least 90% of the time, right? Put it down, okay? Those kinds of things. Now, at this point in our marriage, I, I, I do all those things. I do most of those things, all right? I do most of those things. But not because of the rules, not because I have to. It's because I desire a relationship with her. It's because that, that's what's now taken precedent. Why do I do this? It's so that I can make her happy. She does things so that she can make me happy as well. Christianity is also about that relationship. Maybe it begins with a sense of rules. We kind of have to get some form and some order here. But that's not where it goes. And so listen to me, parents. Listen to me, grandparents. If your children feels that Christianity is more about keeping a moral code than about following Jesus, they will walk away from both. Let me say that one more time. If your children feel that Christianity is more about a moral code than following Jesus, they're not going to follow the moral code anymore. They're not going to follow Jesus anymore. They'll walk away from both. And that's what the Pharisees were bringing upon the people. They were saying, it's law above love. And you guys better have this because we do. And this is what we expect of you. And Jesus coming in and saying, no, you don't. You don't got it yourselves. Why are you putting this noose around everybody else? And to make it matters worse, you're representing my father. That's not the way I want things to go. And Jesus is forceful. I mean, he is just coming right out. He's not this like anemic little pansy-wansy. Well, I'm not sure you should be doing that. No, maybe you should. Maybe not. No. Woe to you. Woe to you. You hypocrites. I mean, the Pharisees, I'm sure they are just taking a step back. He's saying, you are missing the point. Look at what he says in verse 24. He says, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, obviously, he's speaking in hyperbole here. I think the, the disciples were probably in the background kind of snickering at this one. They're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, get it, you blind guides. There's a uh, story that's in the Not a Fam book about a, na- a man named John. Uh, who blue dressed in blue jeans one day, walks into his bank and um, asked to uh, see a teller. Um, and they brought him to the teller. And he said, you know, I'm needing to finalize some transactions with an officer. Can you put me in touch? And um, the teller said, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, he is not in today. You're going to have to come back tomorrow. And the man said, well, okay, I guess I can do that. And um, at, as he was getting ready to walk out the door, he said, uh, would you mind, though, validating my uh, parking ticket? And the woman looks back at him and says, you know what, I am so sorry, but um, it's bank policy, you did not have an official transaction, so we cannot validate your parking ticket. Didn't have a financial transaction. Uh, John asked for an exemption in this, um, since he was intending to do business on this day, but someone wasn't there to do it with him. The teller, though, would not budge. Finally, she looked back at him and said, I'm sorry, that's our policy, rules are rules. So at that point, John decided to make a business transaction. He decided to close his account, which, by the way, John's last name was Akers. John Akers was the chairman of IBM at the time. And he closed a $1.5 million account, which, by the way, qualified as a business transaction, which allowed him to get his parking ticket validated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's kind of, he's being repulsed by these rules that put a grip around the people's necks and they're just choking them off when really they're supposed to be helping him get closer. to The very thing that is supposed to be helping them get closer to God, they're putting up a wall. They're putting up a barrier. They're putting a wedge in between them and God. The very people who are supposed to be helping, the religious leaders. And Jesus says... It makes me angry. It ticks me off like no other. And so let me ask you about this. What perhaps in your own life, and this is the fill-in, the first box in the fill-in. How do I, how do you substitute religion for a relationship? How do I substitute religion for a relationship? Because it's not just about the religious leaders. We all go through this. We all fall into this. This is so easy to fall into. And if you don't think it's happened to you, just ask yourself this question. Did I spend more time preparing my inside, how I look to God, my heart? Did I spend more time preparing my heart today before I came to church? Or did I spend more time preparing how I look to others? Did I prepare more how I was going to walk in here to be prepared to worship God and be prepared to receive a word from his spirit? Or did I print more and shower more and choose out my clothes more and get myself ready and look in the mirror instead of looking in God's word and saying, God, how do you want to use my heart today? I have a feeling that most of us probably have done the latter. We've worried more about what other people would think about us. We've worried more about how we would look outwardly instead of how God wants to look on the inside of our heart. That's how that happens. It happens so subtly because it's a good thing for you to look good. It's a good thing for you to smell good when you come to church, all right? I'm okay with that. But how much time have you done the opposite? How much time do you take to say, God, how do I look inside, not outside? In fact, maybe you have kind of a scoreboard in your mind. And maybe the scoreboard is kind of this unsaid list of, if I read my Bible today, ding, point for me. If I pray today, ding, point for me. If I, uh, you know, come here today, went to church, ding, point for me. In actually, actually, if it was on a day when the Raiders were playing at 10 o'clock and I'm still here, ding, ding, two points for me, right? <laughs> right? Because you're, you're right there. It's like, I'm giving up. Look what I'm giving up to be here. Or maybe you partied hard last night, maybe even getting drunk. But, wow, you're in church today, and you look good to others. But God sees what's going on inside there. That is bad religion. And I'm not talking about this to heap guilt on us. I'm saying this, and I'm bringing this up. Because Jesus was passionate about this. He doesn't want your religion. He wants you. He doesn't want your religion. He wants a relationship that lives and is vibrant. Jesus did not come to take away your fun. He came to take away your pain. That's who Jesus is. That's the Jesus we need to hear. That's the Jesus we need to love. He had a passion to stop the bad religion from hurting us. You know, it wasn't easy for Jesus as well. He was God in human form, but he had to choose to follow the Father as well. And he says, now follow me as I follow the Father. And those very things that we substitute for a relationship with God, those very things that we kind of put into place to feel good about ourselves, I think those are where our addictions come from. The time we spend on our addictions, the time we spend and put addictions into our lives, whatever they may be, and you know what yours are because we all have them, That's the place God wants. That's the place today God is saying, will you give me more of that? Because religion's not going to take it away. Religion's not going to take away your pain. I will. In fact, there's a saying that I've shared numerous times over in our crosswalk service. You'll become comfortable with it or familiar with it. It's that Jesus afflicted the comfortable, but he comforted the afflicted. And we can say that present tense. Jesus afflicts the comforted or the comfortable, but he comforts and loves the afflicted. I don't know how you walked in here today. However you did. Jesus is moving you to a new place, or he's saying, come, come, just be with me. Let me love on you. Let me give you a second thing that I want to highlight here today, and it's really the opposite end. I'm just sharing a couple of things. Again, we could go over this for months but let me give you a second thing that I think the real Jesus has. The real Jesus also has a passion for lost and hurt people. That's the root of where his passion lies. His passion of love. The things that break your heart broke the heart of Jesus as well. I mean, when his friend Lazarus died, it says in John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. He cried. He was hurt. And even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, it still f- hurt for him to see the sadness that his friends and the people in the family of Lazarus were feeling at the time. And then towards the end of Jesus' ministry, in fact, it was right after these seven woes. Uh, Matthew 23, you see all the woes, and you see how he comes at this, you see how he calls the people hypo- uh, hypocrites, 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 hypocrites. Look at what it says in verse 37 of chapter 23. It says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood or her chicks under her wings? And you would not. In other words, I want to just pull you in. I, as a mother hen, want to put my wings out and just gather you under. In fact, you know, the realness of this imagery wasn't lost to me. This Last week I went on the internet. Go ahead and show that. You know, here's a little baby chick, right? That's what Jesus is calling us. That, that, I don't know how many of you, you know, live on a farm or live with some these baby chicks. My uh, family went out to Phillips Farms a number of years ago, and uh, we saw some of these little baby chicks out there. Um, the only problem was that that baby chick got a little too close to um, a pig, right? Do you know what happens when a big pig comes upon a baby chick? Just eats it, one gulp, yeah, down and gone. I think my daughter is still scarred to this day when she saw that go down, Right? We, we we may feel like that, you know, that's the big pig coming upon us, and religion can just squash us, and religious leaders can squash us, or the world kind of squashes us. Some of you may look at that picture and you may say, yeah, you know what, Jesus kind of describes me as that baby chick, but I, I'm i not like that. I mean, I'm not cute, I'm not cuddly, why, why would that be me? Neither was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was horrible. Look at what Jerusalem was doing here. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent. I mean, is is that not like Stockton, right? We kill, we get stoned, right? Right, that happens. There it is right there. That's us. And yet Jesus is weeping over us. Stockton, Stockton. Wow, how I wish that I could gather you as a hen gathers her brood or her chicks and protects you and loves on you. But you would not. So there's the question. Do you believe Jesus loves Stockton passionately? In fact, make it more personal. Do you believe Jesus loves me? Do I believe Jesus loves me passionately? Because no matter what you've done, no sin is too great. And if Jesus can forgive those who crucified him on the cross, he can do the same for you. He loves you passionately. So when you hear the verse, take up your cross daily and follow me, you've got to remember that he is also saying, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When you do it in my strength, not your own. When you do it in my power, not your own. When you do it in my spirit, not your own. It's heavy. It's burdensome. It weighs you down when you do it in your own way. That's bad religion. But when you're led by the spirit, there's a peace that comes through that surpasses anything that you could ever do on your own. You know, I shudder to think what Stockton would be like without great churches here. I shudder to think of what America would be like without great churches, the world would be like, without people stepping up and demonstrating what Jesus modeled and taught us. In fact, let me give you an example of this from around the world. Now, my wife and I, a number of years ago, led a mission trip to Africa, and so we saw kind of some of the conditions that people lived in and, and experienced in the racism and that still goes on today in Africa but there are some amazing stories that have come out of what they're trying to do and the changes they're trying to make. Let me just read one to you. This happened a few years ago. It says, In an emotionally charged courtroom, a South African woman listened as white police officers acknowledged their atrocities against her. Officer Van Der Brock acknowledged that, along with others, he had shot this woman's 18-year-old son at point-blank range. And he and others had party. while they burned her son's body, turning it over and over on the fire until it burned into ashes. Eight years after that, Officer Vandenbroek also came and seized the woman's husband. And she was forced to watch her husband bound on a woodpile as they again poured gasoline over his body and ignited the flames that consumed his body. The last words, however, she heard from her husband were this. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing right now. Now flashback to this courtroom setting. Vanderbroek is awaiting judgment. South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission asked the woman, now later in years, what did she want done? Her answer was this. She said, I want three things done. Number one. I want Mr. Vanderbrock to take me to the place where they burned my husband's body because I want to gather up the dust and give him a decent burial. Number two, she said, Mr. Vanderbrock took away my family, all of my family. But I still have love to give. So she said, twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can be a mother to him, a mother I would guess he never had. And number three, I want Mr. Vandenbroek to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him as well. And I would like to embrace him so that he will know that my forgiveness is real. And this document reads that as the elderly woman was led across the room, Vanderbrock actually fainted on the floor, overwhelmed and overcome with emotion. And spontaneously in the courtroom, someone started singing Amazing grace. And then others joined in until the entire courtroom was singing. Amazing grace. Now that's somebody who understands grace. That's somebody who understands forgiveness. That's somebody who understands what Jesus did and told us to do as well. That embodies the heart of Jesus. That he has a passion for hurt and lost people. I mean, do you think religion is ever going to bring that about? Do you think people's hearts are going to be changed because they're legislated to? No. That comes about because people follow Jesus. That comes about because they hear what Jesus did. That comes about because people begin to get their actions right with their beliefs. It comes about because they say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to follow even my pastor. I'm not going to follow my church. If they're out of line, I'm going to follow Jesus as Jesus has taught me to follow him. And let me reflect upon this real quick because I want to go back to the video that that we saw at the very beginning. That video said, remember what it said? Those haunting words, we raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. That's why we're going over this at the beginning of my ministry. Because I would hope and pray that for your entire life, from here on out until Jesus calls you home, that you would be a follower of Jesus. It would not be a follower of me. It would not be a follower of any of our other pastors. You would not be a follower of, of First Baptist. But you would be a follower of Jesus. And your allegiance would be to him and what he has taught you. Now the authority that's been given to me and the authority that's been given to us as a church is good. And we want to come together and we want to encourage one another. But I don't want you to know more about this church than you know about Jesus. And I don't want you to be more in love with this church or more in love with me than you are with Jesus. Because that's ultimately the name that you will repeat and that you will say when God asks you, should I let you into my kingdom? And it's only because of what Jesus has done for you. And it's only based upon that, that relationship that you have with him. Not a religion, not a list of rules that are put into place, but only about that relationship that you have with him that allows you to live out your faith. That's what I want us to know. That's how I want us to live. That's how I pray we are followers of Jesus every day.